Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. Today's episode, which is number 14, uh, the fourth of the new series, we're going all the way to sunny Los Angeles, California to talk to one of the prominent leaders and voices in the West region of US Quidditch. She's the captain of the Lost Boys and the LA Aftershock, and the co-founder and organiser of Glorious Bitches Galore. More on that later. And more importantly, the second American Lindsay we've had on this show. <laughs> um, most important fact of all, it's Lindsay Simpson. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, glad, glad to have you here, Lindsay. Um, yeah, again, this is another interesting episode in terms of the time zones. I think it's like eight hours difference between... Uh, the UK and LA right now so great to great to organize this yeah we made it work where there's a will there's a way for sure for sure so how are you doing these days of coping with the, the pandemic out in uh, in California um it could be worse we're starting to see like a light at the end of the tunnel which is nice um it's not as crazy and scary as it was I have two roommates and uh, we all have our first shot um, as of now, which is exciting that we can like r- right on the broom of starting to be able to see people again. So if you had asked me a month ago, I would have said much worse than I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. It sounds very promising. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right. Uh, let's jump into it, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So starting at the beginning, where we always like to start with these things. Um, you tell us what's your Quidditch origin story? How did you get into the sport? Kind of, did you have much of a sporting background before Quidditch, or was was it something entirely new to you, uh, sporting wise? Um, so I grew up playing like every sport, but then by the time I turned like into a young teenager, I was really just into basketball. I played a lot of basketball through um, like upper middle school, and I started to play a lot of basketball in high school. And then one day, I just like quit it all. I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna go from playing on four teams to zero, and I don't want to play sports anymore. And I was going to be like a kid that goes to underground concerts. That was going to be my life. Um, and so I was touring colleges, and I was touring Emerson, and I was always like a Harry Potter fan growing up. My mom really wanted me to play sports and missed that I played sports because it like was good for me. And we were touring Emerson together, and she asked the tour guide if, like, because she had like heard of Emerson's Quidditch team in like her own research and I was horrified. I was so embarrassed because I'd have like, I like always been a fan of Harry Potter growing up. It was like a big part of my like life and childhood. And she was like, you have to play Quidditch. Um, and I wanted to, but I didn't want to ask a tour guide about it, like in front of all these other people. <laughs> um, but anyway, I ended up going to Emerson. Um, they had like a combine and we got to play and I was really bad at it, but I still tried. And then I played on Emerson's house league. Um, and I was like, this is for me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't good at it at all, but I was like, this is what I want to be doing with like my college career. Um, and so that's how I kind of, kind of started. <laughs> oh, wow. Sounds pretty intense. I guess it's yeah. interesting to hear that you had like a combine through there. So what, yeah. was, what was involved in this combine? So Emerson, strangely enough, as Emerson's such like a small school, their Quidditch team used to be like, we used to have a six-team house league just within Emerson. 
like we had six intramural teams that competed through the year. Um, and so you would go to a combine so that way the captains of what we called the house league teams could kind of draft talent appropriately. And that way, uh, if there was like a new, if, if, if there was a hundred pe people who wanted to join Quidditch that year, it kind of dispersed the talent that way. No team got like lucky and got all these talented, like people, <laughs> athletics people. So, um, the combine like went exactly as you would expect. Like that we had like different drills to do. We had like giving goes and scrimmages and passing stuff and beater stuff. And we kind of got like a breakdown of how to play from like the, the captains and the board and stuff. Um, it was, it was literally a, a combine. And then <laughs> the, uh, the captains went off that night or the day after or whatever and, and drafted all of us to their teams. Then we got like an email saying, Welcome to your team, and that was it. Wow, okay, that, yeah. that's quite interesting. Um, I know in the, the UK we we had a kind of a combined tournament once, which was semi-successful. Um, it was quite enjoyable to kind of see a different fancy tournament. But um, overall, I think it's it sounds like with Emerson, like there's a real kind of I guess structure within the college. And yeah. kind of people, you could tell people took it seriously and kind of it was well, well structured and well managed. And uh, yeah. I imagine that's what was so appealing for you at the start. Absolutely. It was, I had no idea what to expect. And then I, and then I found out like every other school didn't have that. And I was like, wow, like we're so lucky that we like have <laughs> this. I thought that was like the normal for Quidditch, but no, that's, it's, it was so crazy to like walk in such a, a good system and it, it ended up helping the um like the college's team like ECQ so much because uh they had like this program to kind of like feed their talent and like get these young players excited for Quidditch in like a less competitive manner so yeah for sure getting that experience in pretty early yeah, I guess exactly. thanks to your thanks to your mum for really yeah. uh <laughs> Inspiring, really, I guess really inspiring is probably not the the best choice of words. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, really, uh, getting you in there. Yeah, she definitely was very passionate about it. So <laughs> nice one, nice one. Um, so that's at Emerson College in Boston. Uh, yes, where you played on their B team, the Boston Riot, which uh, yeah, is a great name for a second team. <laughs> um, then you later became their captain uh, for also playing for the Emerson A team later on. And uh, I was informed that you also helped run the Emerson Intramural League as well, kind of giving back to what initially got you into the sport. So I guess what were those kind of college days like for you? Like what encouraged um, yourself forward to captain the second team? So, so when I was a freshman, I had like just played on the intramural league, but I was at everything. I went to all the practices. I went to all the events. And I was super involved because I like loved it. And I made a lot of friends like immediately. And then that year I became an alternate for Emerson College Quidditch. And there was no B team my freshman year. Um, and so I was an alternate basically that they just wanted to like have some extra people around our practices. And if they didn't have a full roster to go to nationals, I may have gone to that whatever um and then I had tried out for ECQ the following year my sophomore year and that was when two of uh two like senior boys uh had brought back the Boston Riot because they wanted to kind of play competitively and while they could have like been 
good enough to play on the A team. They like wanted the casual, like less competitive, less strict factor of like playing competitive Quidditch. So they had brought that back and I was be beating at the time and I was not good at Quidditch. Like I was only an alternate for the A team because I came to everything. Um, mm. So I didn't make the A team, I made the B team. Um, and I had so like so much fun. That team became my family within like moments, like the first day. Um, we were all like so close. We partied together, it was amazing, loved it. And then I had already kind of like stepped up to help out um, the two people running the team, Sean and Louie, just because I am just an inherently like logistical person. Um, and I also really wanted to like, like, like I knew Quidditch was what I wanted to be doing and like how I wanted to like grow my skills. And so I wanted to kind of be a part of the leadership and I wanted to like prove my worth. I like, I wanted to be an indispensable player um, within Emerson Quidditch. And I think that, I think that worked. Um, so that's how I got into it in the, in the first place. Okay. That's a question to hear. Um, I, I, I'm always quite interested in the way that team dynamics work between an A team and a B team, both within like the collegiate system and then in the club system, because often you find them in clubs, you get people with different priorities and different reasons for playing Quidditch. So what do you say is the dynamic like between the B team at Amazon and the A team? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> um, I think the there was a, there was a, a group of people within the B team that were that were good enough to play for the A team but didn't want to just because they didn't want the like severity of it and then the A team was not concerned about helping us get better like Emerson was really good for A being a college team and B being a college team at such a small school that they just really wanted to like hone in on that and make them as good as they could be and it wasn't really about the development of the talent for like later years other than their own like younger players which was fine um, but we didn't really practice that often together um like we would very occasionally and we would like and we got the the people of emerson quidditch and the people of the boston riot basically ran the intramural league um and so we would like work together on that stuff um but i lived with some ecq players my sophomore year um while they like like while i captain riot and it was like not like either i spent many days uh crying and like tyler trudeau's bedroom just being frustrated <laughs> with the like situation that we were in and because i wanted ecq to like kind of do more for us and support us more but but they just were like we have a chance to be really good and stay really good and we want to keep doing that and so we're focusing on us um so it wasn't it wasn't the best relationship, but we still like party together and do things together, and it was all like fine when it came down to it. Um, the intramural league was complicated, like because, like I mentioned, it was run by kind of the people who were involved with Emerson Quidditch and Riot, and that led to some conflicts of like what would be best for the league as a whole and like how how like fundraisers would work and things like that. Um, it it was it was dramatic it was pretty dramatic <laughs> for a college experience um but you know I, like i said it all worked out in the end um when i played for 
Emerson Quidditch the next year, it wasn't really because I was finally good enough for the A team. It was because, and I say this with both like sadness and pride, that Emerson College Quidditch themselves did not retain a lot of their own players. And they were graduating a lot of players who people really liked to play with, but their younger players were not interested in coming back into the program. Um, and they only mm-hmm. retained a handful of people. And so basically my team, which was the Boston Riot, kind of just took over and we couldn't like kill off Emerson College Quidditch to keep Riot alive because that wouldn't make any sense. So basically everyone who played on Riot just um, switched over and started to play for Emerson College Quidditch. So Riot was dissolved uh, to keep Emerson alive, which was another hard thing to face because I had really grown to love like the B team and the way we played and what we stood for and that kind of stuff. So it it was hard to do, but um when it came down to it obviously it was for the best because you can't kill off one of like the original um college programs in the in the country no certainly not <laughs> yeah it's uh that, that very honest of you um yeah. that it's it's and obviously yeah as dramatic as you said um kind of to have to have all those things happen um but i think a lot of us certainly who've been in kind of a college team before can relate to a lot of those things and yeah, trying to balance the demands of both sides, and when when you are on that A team, like yeah, you're you're on the A team for a reason because you're really passionate about the sport. You want to get better as individuals and also as a team, and kind of see how far you can take yourself. And it, I think it takes someone who's like very sort of altruistic to kind of step back and go, no, we want to be sort of more developing the collective and developing all of our players, which is easier said than done. Right. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, definitely interesting to hear all of that. <laughs> um, so, I guess, kind of on a more positive note, you know, what would you say be your favorite memories of playing for Emerson, like both on and off the pitch? Um, off the pitch was Emerson. We had a lot of really fantastic parties. Like, that's the reason why Emerson supported such a large league and program for so long was because there wasn't like a Greek life, like a good Greek life at Emerson College. And so we had this seven um, bedroom, like three story home called Treehouse that lived under the Quidditch umbrella for like six or so years. And because of that house, um, we were able to have these huge, like not only like, parties but fundraisers that earned us like thousands of dollars in a night just because people had to pay to get in and pay for like jello sauce and stuff um and those nights like i have both been intoxicated at a treehouse party and i have been working totally sober at a treehouse party <laughs> and both of those things are completely different experiences and i'm like there's so much fun like it was it was crazy and i Emerson has taken a large fall since like my time there and part of that was because we lost the treehouse house like like we lost the big um house that we would like we used to have a huge party like the first or or second week of school and then have like the combine the Sunday after so all these freshmen and sophomore would come to like their first party we they they get so much to drink and then be like you're gonna come play Quidditch and they're like damn I'm gonna come play Quidditch like this (laughs) this is this this is what I want um so when Emerson lost that house, we lost a lot of our retainment uh, possibilities, which was really, really difficult. And something that they're still faced with now is just 
struggling to retain people. And when you don't have one of the biggest party houses in Boston, um, it can be hard to do. So that was my favorite for sure, like off the field experience. But on the field, I played with the same players throughout like my whole career there because the people that I played with on Riot kind of followed, like like we, we all went to ECQ together. Um, and just like seeing the people develop, including myself and like our cheers and just the our the community was so fantastic. And that just alone was like incredible. So uh-huh. uh, I guess so yeah. all no like one specific memory, but like lots yeah. of different things in one. Yeah, it was like all of I, I was not good at Quidditch. Like I really need to make that. I'm still not amazing at Quidditch <laughs> or anything, but I, I, I did not keep playing the sport because I was like, I'm so good at this that I'm like gonna be great one day. I kept playing it for the people, and that all, like there are so many memories. Like we still have inside jokes that I, I currently live with one of the players that played with me on the Boston Riot. So that was in 2014. I met him, and now we live together. Seven, eight, seven years later um so i think that kind of just shows how serious i am about like the the friendships that were made and like we still make jokes about the things that happened seven years ago um so yeah <laughs> just just the people yeah it sounds pretty great um i must say i really like the idea of like the quidditch house um you kind of obviously having like all these parties and things um especially for like your, your, your freshman players kind of coming to college for the first time and is the oh great i'm invited to a party oh awesome oh it's for quidditch okay and then kind of getting to know the quidditch people and like what they're like in a kind of a more relaxed setting than what yeah. they maybe are on the field and then going oh so well. yeah i'll turn up to i'll turn up to this practice i'll i'll see what this sport's about and then uh sounds like a really good way of both recruiting and retaining players as uh it as you said it was hugely beneficial actually this is like a kind of a side but just today a girl i went to college with who i like and not really friends with or talk too much now she had posted a photo to her instagram story of her boyfriend wearing just, just like an emerson college sweatshirt and that that was the whole post and then she posted a screenshot of her friend this is like a complicated like trail but her she posted a screenshot of her friend replying to the photo of the boy wearing an emerson college shirt and said like he looks like he's about to invite me to a party at treehouse and like that <laughs> that was crazy for to, for me like this girl who i've never heard of had replied to this other st story and like they still remember part parties at treehouse so i think it really just uh shows how much of an influence that <laughs> this house had on the emerson college quidditch culture yeah definitely had like a, a reputation beyond yep. just the team yeah for sure yeah it's really fascinating to hear about was, uh I, I, I visited boston a couple of years back and um, i was playing spiteful on the boston common and i told people that i played quidditch and they're like oh yeah emerson emerson practice just over there i was like oh, okay i'm yep. kind of in, in the heartland here yep it was there. uh a spectacle for everyone to see. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> We're going to cross all the way over to the West Coast from the East Coast, because that's what you did. Uh, a few years back, you moved to, over to LA and joined the Lost Boys. Uh, it's obviously one of the kind of historic, uh, great teams uh, out in the West on the club side of things. So what brought you to the team? And how do you feel playing on the Lost Boys as a club team uh, has 
how does it contrast and kind of compare to playing with Emerson as a college team? Um, so when I moved across the country, I, for, for those of you who don't know, which I assume is most of you, uh, um, Emerson has like a, a campus in Los Angeles. And so you go there kind of as a, like a, a senior, you, you apply to get in only 200 students per semester go. And so I did that program as far like, and so has many Emerson students that came before me. And so the Lost Boys already had kind of like a pipeline of Emerson students um, that have come to LA. It's hard to play for the Lost Boys because of this Los Angeles program. Um, and so when I came out here, I didn't really like have like a choice. I, there was no one else I wanted to play for. Like this was the Emerson legacy. I had to go and play for them. <laughs> um, so I, I already had a jersey because two seasons beforehand, one of my good friends, Griffin played for them and like I was like I want to lost my jersey because like I want to like do this fundraiser and support Griffin um and so yeah I had no choice um I already had <laughs> some of my really good friends like Ryan Smythe um I played with him over at Emerson obviously and then he was already out here playing for the Lost Boys and I was like well this is just what I'm gonna do um um, the, I moved about before the split, so it wasn't a huge difference playing from a college to a club team, them, uh, because you're still kind of playing the same pools of people. Um, something that was like a, just like a coastal difference, um, was the way that in, in the Northeast, we typically have like one or two big tournaments through like a part of a year, but then we play Quidditch games, like official games, almost every weekend. And that's because of the weather. We have to kind of squeeze in a whole bunch of games and stuff um, before the winter hits. And that I think I didn't realize how beneficial that was to just like player chemistry and player confidence and just like having the opportunity to continually play in these like low pressure games because they were just like, we're doing a round robin with BU and Tufts and we're going to go to this field and play like two or three games on half of a Saturday. And like, it doesn't really matter whether, like if we win or lose, like the, the, that was it. But now on the West Coast, because we get to play through the winter, um, we just kind of have one big tournament every month or so. And those are like really high pressure because it's always like a full tournament and like there are six other teams there and like we want to win the whole thing. And like, it's, it's so, it's so important to win this, this, like it, it, it's there. It's so different of a culture. And I think it's really hard to grow player confidence when their first like step into the game is like, a full tournament as opposed to like a casual game with another college that's like near you. Um, so that was the biggest adjustment by far. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That's a, it's a interesting answer to have. Um, I, I tend to find with like a lot of kind of college teams and then club teams, you have those feeder colleges into certain clubs. Um, and they usually like, like, I guess close by to say, right. I don't know. Um, in, in the UK, for example, say a lot of Oxford grads will go to the Oxford community team or they'll go to one of the London community teams, like somewhere nearby. Whereas obviously Emerson's got this link over in LA. Um, so it's strange to have kind of a feeder club on the other side of the country. Um, <laughs> but obviously uh, I, I guess for you moving so far away 
kind of having a family already kind of built in um to have all these connections must have been re- really nice to have when you're making such a, a big switch yeah it absolutely was and i think when i did the program for school out here i didn't really expect to want to stay in la and um i'm not saying i moved here for the team but like having the people here was a huge factor in me wanting to stay out in los angeles um and like the boston club teams have people for emerson which is like what you you would expect like qcb boston and um like revolution i'll have people that played for emerson also but yeah it's very unique (laughs) to have across the country feeder because you just show up and you're like wow i've known these people for the last like three years of my life but they're just now um in a place where we get much less snow (laughs) yeah walking around in uh shirts and flip-flops and uh sunglasses as opposed to heavy winter coats exactly (laughs) a welcome change for sure the, I also found it quite fascinating how you're talking about the scheduling. Um, you'd think in kind of the northeast, kind of north in general, with the winter season, there'd be less Quidditch. But as you said, they've got to try and pack as much in um, while the weather is good enough to play. Um, whereas, yeah, I think what what's that out west in terms of the tournament base sort of basis and kind of that structure of the season is what a lot of people are used to more generally. But obviously, having so many different kind of casual, small games of Quidditch must have really helped yourself as a player and uh, obviously helped the, the region become the powerhouse that it is. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's a lot of value into playing more casual Quidditch. Um, it's something that I keep trying to kind of bring into the West. Um, and I brought it up a few times and it's always like, yeah, like we'll do like a formal scrimmage sometime. And then it, it just like never happens, but we'll get there <laughs> eventually. I'm convinced because I want my like younger players to have that because I really think it's like unbelievably beneficial. Yeah, definitely getting those chances to kind of experience competitive play and make mistakes and learn from them. Definitely uh, valuable. So while you're at Emerson, as you mentioned, you, you started out playing as a beater. However, when you joined the Lost Boys, you switched to playing chaser and also keeper as well. In a really <laughs> game. Oh my God. So what, what brought about this change and how do you think your experience as a beater has helped impact you, your game as a player? So I played beater, obviously, and like I've said a million times, I was not very good. Um, I mean, like, I was fine as a low-tier college player. Like, I wasn't useless or anything, but I certainly was not holding my own because I was playing against, like, Max Havlin and Mario Nasta when they were, like, five years ago for them. They were still as good as they are now. Yeah, that's, <laughs> um, a rough, that's a rough so, ride. <laughs> so I was, when it came to playing against them, I was useless. I was also... Um, during like my longest season with Emerson, I was one of Leanne Dillman's subs. And anyone listening who's familiar with Leanne Dillman, she does not need to sub out very often. She's a very, very, very talented player, and she can play for 10, 15 minutes in in a row. Um, and so because of that, I also didn't get a lot of like on-field playtime um, because she we, we, we didn't need to sub her out um, so I didn't grow a lot as a player either um, and then I came out to the, the west coast and I was like okay like 
I can do this. And my first time I ever played with the Lost Boys was at a tournament. I had never been to a practice before. I had like just moved out. And the second weekend I was out here, they had um, a tournament. And Ryan Smythe was like, you should just come. Like, like we have open roster spots. Like, you, like, like just come and play. And I was like, okay, let's, I'll do it. And so I did. And I walked out. And I, I, I met everyone. It was a fun time. And then I started to play. And I went in as beater because I was like, well, I'm a beater. And I... My, my, like, very first play, I caught the bludger being thrown at me. And I was like, oh, here we go. West Coast, <laughs> baby. I'm here. But then after that, I truly fucked up everything else. Like, I, like, it was so embarrassing. Like, I did so bad. I remember my beater partner, like, like I had, like, gotten beat and, like, didn't even, like, attempt to dodge or catch or whatever. And he literally out loud was like, you have to try. And I was like, I'll need to do a much slower game than this. But I'm also playing on the Lost Boys now with people like Chris Ito and Amanda Turtles who are Team USA caliber players. And so I obviously am not was not used to like that level of gameplay. Um, and so immediately Chris Ito, who was the captain at the time, was like, you're going to chase. And I was like, okay, don't pass me the ball then. Like, do not do it. Like, I... I am good at looking like I know what I'm doing when I chase because of like my basketball background. Like I can I can run around and like look look like I'm open, but do I will not catch a ball thrown at me. Um, I won't do anything. And so we played. Um, I, I I did that. I did not. I was not super like contributive. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> um, but then I got a ball from a keeper thrown to me, and I remember this so vividly. And I literally out loud said in front of everybody as the ball was in the air, I was like, I said not to pass to me, like, like, no, no, no. Um, and then I caught that ball. I do not know what happened. I don't know. I assume I just passed it off. And I, I don't know what happened after that, to be to be honest. Um, but I caught that ball. And the people on the sidelines were like cheering for me, because everyone saw how horrified I was when um, I yelled to not throw me the ball. So and then in that same tournament, I had a stop on Anthony Hawkins. And for those of you who don't know who that is, he is very strong and one of the best stitches in the country. And his biceps are the size of my head. And I had like yeah, wrapped him up. He is a very yeah. well-built man. <laughs> yeah, he's huge. And I had no idea who he was. So he's like coming down the field and I was like, I'm just going to put my arm on him. And so I did that. I didn't take him to the ground or anything, but I stopped him enough for him to make a panic pass that led to a turnover for us. So those two things happened and I was like, okay, maybe I can do this chasing thing. And so that was a really long answer to that um, question, <laughs> but but that's what it, it led to essentially. I tried to be in some practices some more and they were just like, you, should, you shouldn't do this. And I was like, you're probably, you're right. I should stop. <laughs> um, and so I switched. I will say at the beginning, I think being a like having my beater background gave me much more field awareness than um, your typical female chaser would have. Um, but I will say, as I've gotten comfortable as chaser, I think that beater strategy um, of field awareness has like gone with the wind. Like I don't really have <laughs> very good field awareness anymore. Um, but I also also never get angry with my beaters um, ever. Under, like I, I would never be upset for yeah. missing a beat or get or getting like too into beater play because beating is yeah. a thousand percent harder than chasing. You understand and that pain? <laughs> exactly. Like I have run a field so many times. Like they, if they 
fuck up. Sure, I'm not going to be like thrilled about it, but I'm not going to. Their job is way harder than mine. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a good, I guess, way to, to look at it. Um, kind of having that initial, I guess, shock um, coming into playing it out west. Um, kind of being a bit overwhelmed by the beta game. Um, and yeah, I guess sort of lacking that real kind of self confidence that you could you could you could chase and you could be impactful. But yeah. I guess having having teammates who are really encouraging and kind of gave you those opportunities to improve must have been uh, must be really rewarding to have. Absolutely, a big change too from what I was dealing with on uh, on the on the East Coast with Emerson too. Mm-hmm. That certainly sounds like it. Um, so in 2019, you stepped up to the role of captain of the Lost Boys uh, to take up another a leadership role there. <laughs> so what, what inspired you to become the captain of the team? And kind of what um, you achieve back then, and kind of what you're still hoping to achieve now. I was kind of already started to take over some of the logistical responsibilities to help out the captains. Um, when I got to the team, a woman named Brooke was kind of doing the travel logistics and then she had retired and moved across the country. So I was like, I can kind of take over what Brooke was doing because I have experience doing it um, with Emerson. So I like know how to coordinate to get 20 people from point A to point B. And so I started to do that just like, seamlessly and then um when amanda turtles was counting at the time and after nationals of 2019 she came up to me and basically was like do you want to take this over like officially like i'm gonna step down and i was like i mean it seems silly not to like it, i i basically was already doing leadership jobs about the title so um i took that on and it felt very very surreal like i was like a fan of the lost boys um from the east coast and now I have like just with like one conversation become captain of one of the more prominent teams in the country. And that like still is like crazy to me that I'm in this position. Um, I, I wanted to achieve, well, I wanted to organize the team first and foremost. That's like been my biggest thing is a lot of things are really disorganized um, during like different limbo periods of different, leaderships. I don't really know if I have achieved that. I think I have because I have a Google Drive now where I keep everything organized. <laughs> and they didn't have that before. So <laughs> I have that going for us. Um, something I want to achieve and I think I've started to is kind of have more voices involved with the team. The Lost Boys have always had like a pass the torch version of leadership where when some when a captain is kind of deciding to retire or step down on their own time, they kind of just ask the next person um, who seems like a good fit to kind of take it over. And while I was fine with that system, and I think the whole team was pretty happy and content with me taking over as a captain, I don't think that's a great way to feel like the team has a voice in those types of decisions. Um, and so moving forward, I've, I'd like uh, this upcoming season, and we would have done it if we had a last season, but we're going to like have um, elections for the positions, which I think is really, really important because then it gives a chance to people who like, maybe they haven't had a chance to just randomly volunteer for something, but if they want to run and be like, okay, I want to take this on and be a leader, then they kind of gives them the opportunity as opposed to the way things currently are, where it's just like, you're kind of doing stuff. Do you want to like officially do it now? Um, and so that's a big 
part of like what I would like to to do. Um, I also just like to achieve. If you have watched, if you saw any Lost Boys stats, our last season um, as a team was not a very good one. It was like literally our rebuild year, and we called it that. Everyone called it that, and we were ready to come back this 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 past season like with the rebuild like we ha we had built um and it was really exciting to come into the 2020 season with the build that we had done um and then we, we kind of lost that so i'm excited this upcoming season especially with the salt lake city nationals to indeed achieve finally what feels like the build and bring the lost boys kind of back to their former glory okay um, I guess that really speaks to you as a person, kind of what we've discussed so far in the episode, that you like to, obviously you're passionate about what you do, and you like ha have things organised, and uh, <laughs> sounds like you got tons of spreadsheets on that, that Google Drive. <laughs> I know plenty of people in Quidditch love spreadsheets, so uh, yeah. definitely not the only one there. But yeah, kind of having a bit of, I guess, democracy on the team and making sure there's people in certain positions who are chosen by the team for the team and uh yeah giving people opportunities to get involved uh and really help help the, the club go forward yeah absolutely so exciting stuff we'll see how uh, this upcoming season goes if everything goes as planned uh with this whole democracy thing we'll see <laughs> <laughs> we shall see yeah uh, i'm excited to see what the uh the new build Lost Boys looks like obviously has been quite a turnover in terms of personnel <laughs> down the years. Um, obviously, it's been around for such a long time in Quidditch's history. Um, so yeah, it'd be uh, good to see uh, the resurgence of the team. The so looking at your time with Lost Boys as a whole, I guess so far. Um, at this point, what do you say your favourite moments and kind of memories are with the team? Oh, there's so, like, so many. <laughs> um, uh, we do usually, like, an end of year or beginning of year, like, retreat. Um, and those are probably stick out to be kind of the best times that we've had together. It usually, like, we plan it in a way to get as many people there as possible. Um, and, like, we party, we practice, we drink, we play games. Like, we're just, we're a very social, like, fun team. And... Um, those types of events like Christmas parties and stuff are really like important to like our relationships together I think and so again like like with Emerson I probably couldn't give you one like off the field example of like my favorite moment because they just like have have been so so many too um, many pies too many pies yeah we're <laughs> it's too much fun I only play Quidditch on fun teams um but <laughs> I think my favorite on the field experience was when we went to Final Four together, and that was in the 2018. I should have written it down. 2018 season, it must have been. Um, no, it wasn't the 2019 season because we went to the Final Four. Um, so 2018 to 2019 season, that's the one. Uh, we went to Final Four, and it was like a crazy event because um, Cristino at that time was our former Team USA player, captain, starting beater, incredible player, like huge thing. And he, he got injured in our uh, Sweet 16 round and like tore everything in his knee and was completely unable to play. And we were like, well, like that, it's over for us. And um, it was really like the, the, the circle meeting after Cito was injured literally felt like I was at like a funeral. Like people were crying. Like it was 
it was so it was so intense. Um, but then we had players just, like step up. Doug Tran really like sh shined those next two games, and Michael Molman like switched over to Beater to kind of build those gaps. And uh, we went to the Final Four without without him being able to play, and it was very like very surreal um, that that was even possible. So that's probably my favorite like on the field on the field moment. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, it sounds like Chris's injury really impacted you as a team, and obviously, with Chris as a player, and I'm sure many people in the US know Chrisio and how how amazing he is or has been over the years as a Quidditch player. Um, so many people look up to him, both in terms of within the team, obviously, but also externally. He's got this kind of, I guess, real presence about him when he plays. So to lose such a key player like that, obviously, is pretty tough. But I guess from the sounds of it, you were really kind of playing for each other, but also playing for Chris and uh, sort of doing your best to, well, I guess, make each other proud and to make Chris proud. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was an emotional time. And he like still ran like our sideline with his crutches and his leg all wrapped up. And he was just a part as much of like that forward progression in the tournament as he would have been if he was on the field. Um, and I, I think that also just shows to like the kind of person that he is, where he is truly just torn everything in his knee. And he's still standing with us on the sideline, um, helping us get to like the next point. So, yeah, huge, huge Cito fan. <laughs> Yeah, big shout out to him. And, uh, hope he wish him all the best with his uh, recovery there. He's working on it, baby steps. He's he's been to a few practices, but he likes to keep at practices. So I haven't <laughs> seen Beater Cito in a while, but we'll see what happens soon. For sure, for sure. So kind of generally talking about the West as a region, um, what do you say are the challenges that you've noticed playing out West, both on a personal level, but also on, I guess, like a team and kind of community level. What's it um, like? Like I mentioned before, the just difference in play of between not having those casual opportunities to kind of grow your confidence is probably the biggest challenge that I currently see. Um, also, something everyone in the world knows about um, is the West has no game footage. Um, like we just, we have very little actually usable footage just due to like a lack of volunteers with equipment to make it happen and I think that makes it harder to like evaluate your own work your own gameplay look back and be like how can we approve or in the same sense if you're going into a tournament playing a team you don't have as much options to kind of refer to their footage and see their gameplay um so that's that's always like a problem something that's less known about is because we live in beautiful southern California specifically um, whenever we travel or uh, whatever, if there's inclement weather, we struggle with that really, really badly. Like we had regionals a few years ago um, where it was so cold. It was, it was, I mean, not cold compared to Boston, but it was like 45 or so uh, Fahrenheit. I don't know what the conversion is to Celsius, probably like just like, like five cold. or something. Let's <laughs> yeah. just say cold. Yeah, yeah it was cold. <laughs> And like we struggled with that really, really, really badly because it's like, sure, I like to make fun of my own players for not being able to handle playing in the rain. But genuinely, especially when you like grow up here, you, you never have experience doing things in that type of weather. And so it's like, sure, it's fun to be like, oh, like you're all babies because you don't know like 
how to do anything in the snow or like you're afraid of a little rain or whatever. Um, it's, it's not really their fault. And it's not like, like the, we, we can't do anything about it to make our, to like, to, I, I can't force a rainstorm during a practice. Um, and I can't make it 20 degrees colder outside to get that experience. So, um, that's a huge problem. And I am a little, like when we went to Texas, I, uh, two years ago, obviously the wind was bad, but, um, I don't think anyone did well with the wind, but we certainly did terribly with it because we do not play in basically anything other than like 80 degree sunshine, beautiful weather. Um, so that's a huge problem also. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you now, Lindsay, I, I would happily swap sort of sunny California for oh, rainy UK anytime. I definitely uh, agree. I'm happy to be here, but we <laughs> have to go anywhere else. It does suck. Yeah. You have to play a lot better in a rainstorm than we would yeah a lot a lot of our quidditch is very muddy very very wet sadly um but yeah i guess um that's a good kind of summary of i guess the the struggles out west and uh you mentioned that game film and kind of how teams sort of because we you don't film the games you don't get to improve from watching yourself playing obviously you don't get many chances to play in terms of the schedule and obviously i guess a lot of people have noticed uh, especially you kind of follow the American Quidditch scene online, it's getting the recognition for players out West is also really difficult because if you're a player who plays, I don't know, the Southwest or the Midwest or the Northeast or just just different region of the country, like it's very hard to, to, to notice these players until you get to nationals. So definitely a struggle there, I guess. Yeah, it definitely is. The... Uh, also, another thing I noticed when I came out to uh, to LA and kind of, well, I traveled around there uh, a while back, is just, it is, it's kind of silly to say, but I guess like just the geography of it as a place, and we've discussed it in previous episodes um, about American Quidditch, just the distances between different cities is just so huge. Um, kind of, you win the West region, you've got obviously California, and Utah, and Arizona, and all these states are next to each other, but you're driving sort of nine, ten plus hours just to get to a tournament. Sometimes, Duh. I'm sure you probably had plenty of road trips down the years, going to various places just for Quidditch. Yeah, um, I can talk about this problem forever. I will say, being in Southern California, we're kind of blessed that one people often will come to us because it's just better <laughs> than a lot of other places. And then also B, we have a few teams here that are with, with within like an hour or two of us. So we definitely have like the, like we're in the best situation of anyone else in the West because we just have teams near us with like um, UCLA and Anteater Quidditch from UCI. And we have whatever combination of Diablos and Gambits, um, Long Beach have there been in the past. So we do have teams near us, but yeah, like that's the entire reason why MLQ had failed out here. Like we just couldn't get people that wanted to take all these huge travel. Um, so back on the East Coast, it was so simple for us to be in Boston and get in the car and drive a few hours to go play in a tournament um, at Rutgers. But here on the West Coast, if we want to do a weekend tournament that is not in SoCal, it's like get a day off of work or two or drive through the night for six hours or 
be able to afford to take flights. Um, and then we barely see Utah and Arizona during the regular season outside of um, regionals, uh, regionals because it's just like, it's so, it's so far. Um, and not everyone has the luxury of paying $200 a weekend for a flight um, to go places. So it's definitely a huge problem. It's a huge problem towards sustainability. It's especially a huge problem in places like like Portland and Seattle that don't really have other teams to compete with. Like they often play with Canada more than any other U.S. teams because it's just closer and easier. Um, so they, yeah, it's a huge issue that we face as far as finances go too. Like it's a lot of money and gas and time to expect from our players. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure, as you mentioned, with the Salt Lake City Nationals that is hopefully coming up when we're <laughs> allowed to play again, I think that'll be massive for the region and uh, for spreading the, the good word of Quidditch to more of the country. I cannot tell you um, the joy that is in my life. The day that I found out that it was staying in Salt Lake City, I I could have like flown. I would like like to the moon. Like I was mm. so like I fought for that. Really, like I had had a lot of. I wrote I wrote a very nasty email um, to USQ if I'm being honest. Uh, just just really really laying things out because I was personally re- re- really happy about the Pennsylvania Nationals that was scheduled because I'm from the East Coast. My parents would come and be like fun for me, but like that it was so unfair to my players and like so many of the Lost Boys were so excited to finally have this. Um, I was I, I was mad. I was really mad. I wrote the longest, the, the, the longest email of my entire life to the USQ staff. Um, and I feel like I got my way. <laughs> I will say, though, I am panicked as I found out that there was a little bit of snow this past weekend um, in Salt Lake City, which would have been, like, which which is the week before nationals would have been um so i'm a little nervous about the weather and i feel like if it if it's too cold uh we will never hear the end of it and nationals will will, <laughs> will never come back to the west but i'm just gonna hold out hope this is the only time in my life i've ever been like come on global warming like let's be 10 degrees warmer <laughs> in utah for that weekend please <laughs> yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed the uh... Yeah, certainly looking forward to it and, well, looking forward to whenever Quidditch can come back in general. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, changing gears slightly, um, we kind of touched on MLQ there and how, obviously, initially there were teams out west and then, uh, well, they got cut uh, from the from the organisation uh, due to logistical reasons from the sounds of it. Um, and then... Uh, the Western Championship Quidditch League, I think it's called, um, sprung up uh, out west. So, could you tell us how that came about and kind of what's it been like being involved with it so far? Um, so, this is the child of Steve DiCarlo and Alexia Barnes. And basically, um, if you're super interested in the series of this um, through Face Beat It, Michael Goldman just had a podcast with both of them on talking about it. So if you are want, want to do a deep dive, I do recommend that. But uh, the abridged version of that is Steve DiCarlo had kind of been talking about doing serious summer quotage in the West over the last few years. And then um, we f- finally had the people and Steve and, and, Steve and Alexia had kind of 
started to work more together to make it something more official. And they collected interest, and it kind of was like the the community helped name the teams. And a um, uh, we have we have a, a very known graphic designer um, in the sport on the West who did like the logos. It was very much a community effort to try to get this started and going. And Alexia and Steve kind of just took it on and we're like, okay, we're going to do it, but like, you're going to be a part of building this. And I think that was kind of what led to a lot of the success of it. Um, and so I captained this past, well, I guess now two summers ago, LA Aftershock with Tony Rodriguez, who's someone I adore working with. We are very, he is the tough um, strategic captain that likes to yell at people sometimes and I am the let's get everyone playing time and I'll handle all the logistics and the dirty orders um so we balance each other out really really well um so it has been a joy to be a part of we basically when it came about it was kind of all rushed it was like okay it's already halfway through the summer but what if we do this big tournament with these teams at the end of the summer and like kind of just put it all together and it considering how kind of rushed it all was it went really really well um aftershock won the whole thing which was a, a, a great time for me obviously and we had plans to we had plans to expand um we i mean steve and alexia had plans to expand to utah and arizona uh, the following summer because they had a lot of people interested in playing because there's four teams which are um orange county la san francisco and then the north i have air quotes around like the north because it's basically portland seattle and then like western canada was invited to play um but basically this upcoming year we are hoping to get to play again um but we're we don't really have that same interest and availability from arizona and utah so instead utah is joining like the north concept so um That'll be happening. Hopefully, if everything goes as planned, I'm very excited, and it's been, it's been a really good time for us. I think having these these two sets of teams kind of in pairs, as far as like the North and San Francisco, and then LA and Orange County, has been good for us. Um, it's hard to tell like what the future is for this because it, we haven't really had a full summer of being able to play and have like series and whatever. But this season. Hopefully, we'll exist, and I'll hopefully get to see all these people by the end of the year. Yeah, sounds pretty exciting um, as a project. Because obviously, with MLQ, kind of one of the things that MLQ does is it raises the profile of Quidditch uh, across the US and, well, I guess across the world in some respects as well. So, to not have MLQ teams out west is obviously not great, but to be able to have this new league uh, and to raise the profile of the sport that way rather than just having sort of a few I guess fancy tournaments over the summer instead um kind of bringing together the community from all across the various states yeah sounds like a, a really good way of uh, making the best of a, an unfortunate situation exactly and there's no trips to Texas or Wisconsin and it's a lot easier for us to retain those people um and also like get college players involved with playing at a higher level so it's really just like a win 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 for everybody <laughs> <laughs> all i'll do is win dj <laughs> exactly um so another thing that you've organized uh is so a tournament called sorry i said so many things <laughs> so many things <laughs> that's true that's true so yeah an another thing that you've organized uh is a tournament called the glorious bitches galore which is a tournament aimed at 
female and non-gender conforming players. Inspired by the Femme Fatale tournament created by Beth Peeler out in the Southwest. Big shout out to her. Um, there's a type of tournament that has since been replicated in various locations across the world and has received a lot of positive feedback from the attendees of these tournaments. You know, what made you decide to run and participate in this event? And what was it like to play in these games? So we, um, so we saw like it happening in Texas and there's a few of us, including Alexia Barnes, who I mentioned earlier, she's our outgoing regional coordinator. And then people like Kim Chang and Ali Cole and Brooke Yaren, who all just deserve a shout out for existing and being fantastic. Um, we were kind of, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you who started the group chat, um, but basically we're like, let's get some people involved from different parts of the region and do this because like we, we, we deserve it. Like, like this is going to be great for a lot of people. Um, and that's the, basically the entire thought that went into making it happen. It was like, we like this, this is going to go well if we do it and oh, people are going to be able to grow as players. And so we, we put it together. Um, we had like t-shirts made, we had GMs. It was like your standard, fantasy tournament and we also only used female and gender non-conforming snitches which not to like insult anyone's snitching abilities but because of that um the tournament was very on time uh, we had no we had no anthony hawkins running up the clock 20 extra uh, minutes um, the TD's dream <laughs> yeah it was really it was it was really great for us it was a very well run tournament we only had our like the the people playing ref and stuff like men were just not allowed to help with anything like they like austin sharp made the design for the um the the shirts that we sold and i think michael aguilera was the only other person who was a man that helped at all and it's because he has like the field equipment stuff to help like get the field set up other than that it was a hundred percent run by female and non-binary players and it was, it was, I still like reflect so positively on that day. Just the amount of people that like came up to us and, or messaged us after and were like this, like I finally felt like, like I can play Quidditch. Like it was so nice to be, walk on the field and not already feel small for lack of a better word. Like we did two arm tackling as well, which I think was really incredible for um, a lot of like some, smaller players who normally can't make a tackle, especially can't make the one arm tackle on like a larger guy, um, being able to like fully wrap these other women um, and bring them to the ground. Like it was such a cool feeling to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, huge, unbelievable fan of that. I actually talked to our group chat today about organizing one, hopefully by the end of the summer, depending on like COVID and stuff. Um, Cause we really want to be able to do it again. So huge fan. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of, it's been the consensus across a lot of these types of tournaments. I know in the UK, um, we've had things like uh, Queen's Cup, which is organised by the Velociraptors, my, my team. And uh, yeah, so, so many people who've walked away saying that's one of their, their best ever tournaments. And uh, it's clear to see that positivity um, kind of come across in the feedback. And, uh, I guess, what would you say is about the gameplay as such? Because obviously you mentioned about the tackling uh there would you say it's i guess it's the players getting more opportunities to play rather than say they would do in the mixed form of the game um is there anything else you'd like to add to that 
Um, I think it allowed people to, I, people that wanted to ball handle on their own personal teams and were never given the chance, kind of had the chance to do that, which I think was really beneficial for a lot of them. And then people like me, who the whole world was like, you, Lindsay should be a keeper. And then I did it and I was like, this is, t- I, I should not be doing, I was so bad at it. And <laughs> I could not like see the field in that type of way. I threw the ball away so many times. It was super embarrassing. So I, but I got to learn that and I would never have gotten to learn that with the Lost Boys, like ever. Um, I think people had a lot more opportunities, like you said. And I also think people walked onto the field with more confidence and not really like Often an issue that comes up when we play this mixed sport is if a a woman or a non-binary player like messes up one time and drops one pass, it's, it's, it's like a weight on them that they have screwed up and they're going to be taken out of the game and they're not going to get the ball the next time because they dropped it that one time. I think a lot of that fear was alleviated because women are obviously going to trust the other women on the field. And like, it was just... It was just so nice to be able to feel like I could make a mistake and my keeper was not going to be unbelievably angry at me. Like it has literally happened when I've played with male keepers. So um, I think that was a big part of it. And just just like being open to new things and new positions. It, It was like everything about it was amazing. I think I'm almost sad about how good it was because I think how good it was is kind of shows how bad Quidditch can often be when we're playing the mixed version, um, which is like a hard thing to like face and realize, but we're just going to keep trying to build people up doing things like this. Yeah, sure. I think it's like a good kind of alternate to have running alongside, kind of, I guess, the, the main version of Quidditch that we play. Um, as you said, just uh, giving these opportunities to people um, and giving, especially women, these chances to play in different roles. And as you said, sort of, it, well, I guess make these errors um, and sort of go, oh, don't worry, you'll get it next time. And you get plenty of opportunities to have it next time. Exactly. Um, the, yeah, sounds like a really positive thing. And obviously also, I guess, playing more as a team as well, kind of understanding and really empathizing with your fellow teammates, knowing the roles in which kind of the, the open chasers have been in and sort of yeah. looking to get them involved in the game. I abs- uh, also on top of that, I think it gave me a lot more empathy to my ball carriers because I get so frustrated as the open female chasers. And then I tried to be a ball carrier and I was like, I can see now why um, this is a little uh, is harder than uh, I think it is. Because um, I'm like, why don't you, you throw me the ball? I was wide open. They're like, I didn't see you. And the, before I was like, how did you not see me? And now I'm like, I now understand why, why you may not see me every time. <laughs> so I think it goes both ways. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, good to see that develop- development in the game. Uh, so following the tournament, uh, you set up a, gr- uh, like a, a group called West Region Glorious Bitches, which is place for female and non-binary uh people uh to have this space for conversation planning events etc etc uh and then from that you then also started a youtube channel uh called uh bitches analysis corner i'm, I'm loving that the branding here is it's fantastic <laughs> um think, uh, so yeah, go ahead. yeah so uh with with all of these things and all these spaces set up can you tell us more about the group and the YouTube channel and kind of what your 
hoping to achieve uh, with with, with uh, these two things? Um, yeah. So first, uh, in regard to bitches, I feel I don't know who came up with that like term, and it was really important to us that we like wanted to use a term that was encompassing to both female and non-binary players. And there was like femme fatale and in, in, in other parts of the country, but so many of our players are not necessarily like femme. Um, and we really wanted to make the space as inclusive as possible and bitches came to us and it just, it just felt so right. Like it felt so like, like this is it. As, as long as everyone understands it in like an endearing yeah. way, like, like an empowering I way. I feel like being a bitch is like a state of mind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. In a way. hundred <laughs> percent. So that's how that kind of came to be. And I love it and I will stand by it for forever. But anyway, um, yeah, basically the tournament itself led to so much good conversation and people wanting more events and, and wanting a space where, where men were included. And we were like, okay, well, let's do that. We'll make you a Facebook group. Um, and we did that and it, it, it's open to everybody. It's just the only, like it's, it's marketed to the West because we want really like every West bitch in there and we want to like keep it West oriented, like, when groups and stuff um, and when events and things start start happening again, we don't want it to be just an entire, it's it's not one other place to receive your 80th Facebook notification. But anyway, oh, cool, yeah. <laughs> um, we, it's been really good. It's, we obviously, it's not being used much now because nothing's happening in the sport, but um, it's been a lot of the, the threads and articles that have been shared over the last year in AQD and other groups that are similar to that have been about gender and diversity and what's what tends to happen is someone else will share it into West Region Glorious Bitches and we have our own conversations there because so an unbelievable amount of people do not feel comfortable sharing um, in groups like AQD or a, a public group because so often it's met with so much like like you, you, you just get attacked if people don't agree with you, um, and it can be really toxic. And that's a huge problem that we're having in AQD because I also mod that, and it's a really complicated process to um, try to keep people in line while also letting people say what they want. And it's it's it just gets very like attacky, and people jump down each, each, each other's throats. And so many w w women and non-binary players do not feel like comfortable speaking there and saying their thoughts. And so this group has kind of provided a space for that, which I think a lot of people have enjoyed. And then a conversation about kind of like imposter syndrome and the fear of not of being afraid of talking about strategy and stuff kind of came up. And because of that, I had commented on a thread and I was like, do you guys want me to make a, a, a place for this too? Like I, like I, I can do this. If you want to talk strategy, let's talk strategy. And then Bitches Analysis Corner was born. Um, we, I, I, we, there's only been like, I, I think four episodes of gameplay analysis, but then we also covered the West fantasy college draft thing that we did. And I did all the graphics and whatever for that. Um, and so there hasn't been a ton of content, which is just my own fault of just not realizing that doing a game analysis was going to take up like six plus hours of my week because I would, watch the game myself, take notes, record the, the podcast, the, the video of it. And that would take two to three hours and then I had to edit it after. And I just, it, I was doing it at an unsustainable amount. And so I kind of 
taken a break with that and I will get back into it, especially when the season starts again, because I really want to get more people involved with it. Um, but the feedback for that has also been fantastic. I've gotten a lot of good um, comments and advice and thoughts from so many people of various gender orientation and it's been a really great time and I'm really happy that it's been so good for so many people and I'm excited to keep expanding that. Wow, that's <laughs> that was a long <laughs> tangent. <laughs> it's a lot, but genuinely, that sounds incredibly positive. Um, I, re I really like the sound of everything that you're doing with that. Um, I mean, the, the group itself that you got going is, is great for obviously people out west, but also obviously female people and non-binary people in Quidditch in general. Uh, I think on kind of a societal level, we have this whole thing where we have these spaces like on Facebook and social media and other places where people debate and they discuss things. And there's so many people who just, well, they, they need to learn some social skills, basically. Yeah. Um, and kind of end up attacking each other and kind of getting way too invested in things. Um, and there's a lot of people who they'll go, right, this is my opinion on something. I'm going to stick to this opinion and hold on to it as much as possible. But there's just not enough people who are kind of willing to step back and go, oh, hang on a minute. Well, I've now heard your input. And from this new information that I've gathered, oh, that's that's now changed what I believe. And kind of being a big enough person to accept that new information and then using that to change your opinion, I think is something that we can all learn from and benefit from. And hopefully with places like this where people can discuss more and get their opinions out in the open in a safe space uh, is really positive. Yeah, I definitely like to think so. Um, it's been good so far and I hope it will stay that way. I think we all just need to be a little more patient with with each other as far as the whole community goes. So steps like this are definitely helping. Yeah, definitely, especially when you consider overall like Quidditch is such a small community. So there's always been an element certainly in Europe and the UK that we, we have to get along to some degree so as competitive as some of us might be that yeah we still need to collaborate on certain things um I do find um bitch analysis corner really interesting as well um because I guess sort of anecdotally kind of within Quidditch and like discussing Quidditch like the X and O's and like what happens on the field it's a conversation it's a discussion dominated by men um i guess that kind of comes from kind of historically men being more obviously having done more sports in the past and kind of being more involved in that way um and that's kind of transferred over into quidditch and obviously as sort of person who isn't a man trying to step into that space and have an opinion and to discuss your ideas must be quite intimidating so to create a space where people can do that openly and can discuss those ideas and get more women and more non-binary people talking about Quidditch in that depth, I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's been really, really special. I'm excited to get more episodes going and involved. Like, I have always been the first to admit that I personally am not um, a strategic captain. Like, if, if, if someone on my team has a question about why a play isn't working or what they could be doing better or whatever, I've literally FaceTimed my head coach, who has not been at practice, and be like, watch this with me and, like, let's figure it out because I can't tell. And I've always been really aware of that. Um, 
but because of that, I want to get better and feel like I can say something about strategy and practice and know what I'm talking about. And also there are so many women and non-binary players out there that do have an eye for strategy and don't feel comfortable talking about it because it's so dominated by men. So we're accomplishing a lot of things over here. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> something that I guess a lot of people need to remember as well with Quidditch, like it is still a very new sport and none of us have been playing it for like 10, 15, 20 years or anything like that. Um, it was looking like five, 10, maybe, maybe like 15 or whatever. Like yeah. not, not a very long time. Um, it's kind of my point. Um, so yeah, like what one person might say about Quidditch, it might be right based on their playing experience, but right. you've got to open this conversation up and let people discuss things. Oh, why did this beta throw at that player there? Oh, they threw there so that they can get bludge control back and then make a play for on the quaffle or so, something on those lines, kind of opening up those discussions and getting people really thinking about yeah and understanding the game and uh getting everybody involved uh, absolutely it's only it's only going to make your team stronger um uh, by having more people involved with the strategy and understanding of the game so there's no reason to not get more of your female and non-binary players into those conversations for sure for sure the obviously you want to have a very fit team as well but you want to have <laughs> A smart team, an intelligent team, and it's the more intelligent teams that are, tend to be the better ones. So, yeah, definitely a, a good thing to be doing. Um, so, yeah, again, we're, we're looking to the future. Um, and, uh, obviously, you've already done so much in <laughs> Quidditch. Lindsay, we've discussed all kinds of things, both at Emerson and then with the Lost Boys and all the stuff you're doing in the community, um, kind of for female non-binary players as we've just discussed um but at this stage uh, what would you still like to achieve in quidditch you know what are your personal and i guess collective goals for the sport going forward um it's 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 hard because i feel like for the last few years of my life i've felt like i've been part of the younger generation that's here to like make a change um, and now I feel like the older generation, like I feel like I've for sure crossed that line um, within the last two or three years where I am no longer like up, like up and coming Quidditch person. I am an old person that comments on Facebook threads and is annoying. Yeah, I and, yeah <laughs> it's, it hurts. I hate it. Um, so I think my like the biggest thing that I want to achieve while I'm still in the sport is like setting the next generation up for success. Like I love what so many of the outlets are currently doing and getting so many college voices involved in literally whatever capacity they want to be involved with. And I, I love it. I love, I love that. And I want to help that in the West and help more college players take on new tasks, um, especially the women and non-binary players, because I really want to see more of them in leadership and media of the sport because so many teams their representation of women within their sport is basically like logistical coordination and as a woman who is good at that i understand it but there's so many other spaces where these people should be um and so that's probably like what i want to be working towards the most and i think projects like bac and uh glorious 
bitches galore are, are going to help help that. Um, so that's probably my my biggest thing is just setting up these newer college female and non-binary players for, for success. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's a really strong message you got there. Um, I guess kind of on a more general level, I can really relate to you kind of opening up these spaces and yeah, wanting to get more people involved in Quidditch, what what people talking about Quidditch in other sort of a, I guess, more positive light. Um, I mean, that's a lot of what we're doing here with Total Quidditch and sharing ideas and obviously allowing people to share their experiences of Quidditch. It's what we're, we're doing right now. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to hear that you're doing all those things. And, uh, I looked forward to hearing more from you in the future. <laughs> I think you maybe would be one of the only people who still want to hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm annoying everybody else, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> no, got to keep, got to keep it going. Keep, keep spreading the good word. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, Lindsay. So we've got onto the mailbag section of the episode now. Uh, so these are questions that have been sent in by uh, various listeners uh, into the Facebook page. Uh, so thank you to everyone who's done that. Um, got quite a few responses in here. Um, <laughs> this should be fun. Uh, so starting off, I guess, back at Emerson. Who would you say your favourite Emerson player is that you've played with slash or against? Um, but I think my answer for this is actually the same person. And I feel bad because it's not anyone who's relevant in the sport anymore. But whoever asked this question probably knows who they are. And it's his name is Jose Cañas. And he was my beater partner um, in the intramural house league for like my whole life. And he played on Emerson Quidditch. And he was one of the people that kind of like took a step away um, when Emerson started to like kind of crumble a little bit. But he is a, a, a threat on the field. But he's also an, an amazing partner playing against him is a nightmare because he will hurt you um badly but then playing with him is such a blessing and i miss him a lot in the sport okay big shout out to jose there <laughs> yeah. uh, he's probably not listing but no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> awesome um so what advice would you give to people in college leadership um kind of things that you wish you would have known when you ran emerson's intramural league um, I think the biggest thing, if I could give literally any advice at all, it's to find a way to have parties. Like that's literally how Emerson succeeded. And I will stand by that until I, until I die. If you can't find a way to have parties, find other ways to have, um, different types of social gatherings that are, that are enticing to like fellow college students. A lot of people will be like a trivia night that, maybe no one will show up to you. And that's a lot harder to do than just like hanging around and watching a movie and drinking, which I know it can be more difficult, especially in college and no one should be underage drinking, obviously. Um, but uh, those types of social events are really what's going to get people um, involved and connected and into the sport. And so, and also my last thing, as far as that goes, is keep all of your stuff organized and keep Keep your branding, keep your colors, keep your fonts, like keep all of those things in one spot. So when the next person takes over, you don't have to ask 
them a bajillion times for this file and this file and this file. That's like my number one actual piece of advice to anybody in leadership is for all of your, I'm a big person. I'm a big branding person. Like obviously I do like the lost boy stuff. And that's so important is to have all that stuff in one space that your branding can continue to be consistent through the years of your league. Mm -hmm. I guess two good, two good bits of advice there. Yep. In the, in the words of, uh, I think Pitbull, don't stop the pie. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, do it responsibly and uh, yeah. yeah, be organized. Fantastic. Who are the up and coming college players, uh, sort of freshmen through seniors in the West, that you think people should be looking out for, in your opinion? Um, oh, just, they're so hard because there's so many of them, and I also couldn't, I don't know who is graduating like right now and won't be playing. I that's it's a hard question to answer for that reason. Um, but people that come to my mind are Anna Christina from Utah State, Elijah Franklin from San Jose, um, basically everybody on Cal. Like I said that like seriously, like Cal's starting line is a threat to everybody. Um, Kobe Kendall, everyone knows about him. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else there could be. There's, there's like, li there's literally so, so many amazing players. Um, if you are actually interested in this question as a listener, Go check out the entire um, draft that we did this past uh, a few months ago. And we literally highlighted and talked about all of these players for so long. So um, that's much more of a better resource than me trying to name them on the fly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Plenty of talent out west. So much. You know, build, building on that, I've uh, got a question, kind of, I guess, more to the higher ups. Um, which uncapped, so a player who's never played internationally uh, for Team USA, um, so which uncapped West player would you like to see on the US NQT in the future? Um, the My number one pick is probably up-and-coming star Daniel Belton. Um, he is a monster. Like, I cannot, like, no one he he's so good he's so scary and so talented and so strong and can he's been able to drive through club players since he started playing um and he just graduated from uci and is going to make some serious waves in the club division he's so scary um so him he, he's my choice okay i hope the uh usnqt scouts and coaching staff are <laughs> looking out for him awesome um so we just got a couple of questions left now Okay. Uh, this one kind of playing to more recent news. How do you think the regional change to the West will affect competitive play? Um, I really don't think it's going to. I literally, when we, so for those of you who don't know, the regional change to the West is that basically the Northwest and the West have combined. Um, so we just, and then we're losing Colorado to the Midwest, but Colorado has not had a, like functioning team in a few years uh, like like there's been like mile high quidditch coming on and off but they have not been like an official team in a while and we've already been doing our regionals with the northwest so the few teams that are up there have already been coming down for our regionals so i don't think we're going to see a change at all like i think every like i asked our our rc um if if, if if it affects us and they're basically like no not really because we've already been doing that so i don't think we're going to see a competitive change at all <laughs> okay just a, i guess a change in yeah the branding of rest yeah, of that's, peace. North, yeah that's <laughs> the <it>. northwest <laughs> um okay 
the final question we've got for you here. Um, what's the, your favourite tournament that you've attended out West? I feel like we've got a good answer for this. Yeah, it's it's definitely glorious bitches galore. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm biased because I ran it and it went on time, but we've had a lot of good ones out here. Um, like I've also done HVI twice. HVI is always a really incredible tournament. Heroes vs. Villains Invitational. I played in that twice, um, and those were really great. So I don't. I want to give those a shout out. Also, I also TD'd my first like official tournament this past year which was a huge success neverland classic big fan of that one um and then also west fantasies are also very fun tour you would know you've been um yep. i think <laughs> our our just general fantasy tournaments are a good time i would recommend anyone taking out the trip um to give west fantasy or funky fiesta a shot um but yeah glorious which is glorious for sure the best one mm -hmm. it's a, a good kind of advert for tournaments out <laughs> in the west and, uh, come hang out with us the weather's yeah, so nice <laughs> I, I can confirm as someone who's played at west fancy that genuinely is one of the best like single day single days of quidditch i've had ever oh and, i love uh, that more people should uh should uh, experience things like that especially if uh you're not uh you're not experienced with uh the west well the west region or just u.s quidditch in general it's a it's a fantastic opportunity um super so that's all we've got for this episode Woo! Uh, <laughs> we're all done done and dusted um but Lindsay, this has been so so much fun really has and um yeah i feel like it's been a very kind of positive episode and obviously i've kind of got this vibe from you that you're one of these people who's kind of the whole gandhi quote kind of be the change you want to see in the world yeah um it's been fantastic talking to you so thank you very much Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I talked your ear off, um, but I hope I hope some of the things I said resonated with some people out there. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. And, uh, obviously, anyone who listens to this podcast now uh, do like to talk about Quidditch for <laughs> quite a while. <laughs> um, that's why, why we're here. Um, before we finish off, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug on social media or anything like that? Um, definitely, I recommend checking out any of our BAC videos if you're into strategy or want to know more about West College players. We talk about those in length. You can just find them on YouTube. But I think the channel is just called Witches Analysis Corner. We have a pink and purple logo. Um, so I recommend checking that out. And if you like to be a part of the coolest team in the West, you can give us a follow on Instagram at LostBoysQC. I run that too. Run all of our social. <laughs> fantastic yeah everyone should definitely uh, check those out and we'll be sharing them as well on the total quidditch facebook page so thank you very much we hope all of you the listeners have enjoyed uh this episode uh if you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the total quidditch podcast please give the total quidditch facebook page a like because that's where we'll be announcing upcoming guests and of course giving you a chance for you to send in more of your questions for the mailbag so until next time Keep yourself safe and live the game. Goodbye.